Hello everyone, uh, my guest today is Tom Martel. Um, Tom Martel has nine GP top eights with free wins if the wiki uh, if the wiki information is correct I actually made an interview with Paul Rietzel the other day and he actually has four more top eights than the page says so I hope oh, it's, wow. I hope I it's good. I do not unfortunately I just have to <laughs> I'll take four more though. Yeah, it would be better to have 13 I assume but uh, it's nine and you have two pro tour top eights with one win is that accurate? Yep, that's right. And you currently work at uh, Riot Games, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's correct as well. All right, uh, that's go I'm gonna ask about Riot Games as my second question, but my first question is going to be about your hobbies. You you told me that you like recently started with golf and tennis, and I actually played tennis for like five years when I was a kid. So I'm just oh, curious. Awesome. I'm just curious to know how good you are. <laughs> I'm I'm terrible. I'm very bad. Um, yeah. So I played maybe two or three times total ever before this year and then i've gone out and just played with a couple friends a couple times so far so i can mostly now hit the ball on the court but still quite bad like bad footwork i can't serve so i'm still got a lot of work to do what do you mean by can't surf like how do you even play a game if you can't surf <laughs> uh, so I, I just like do like a drop toss and hit it i can't like serve over oh i, I like see a, like a really simple i can never ace anyone because you know, i'm serving it very slowly Mm -hmm. How about how about backhand? Because you know a lot of people you know come to tennis from like a ping pong or like a badminton where you like use one hand. But in tennis, most people use two hands, right? Like for for example, Roger Federer plays one hand as well. But I think that's very difficult. Yeah, do you have yep. do you have problems with that? Um, some. I think the two handed stroke makes kind of just felt natural to me, so that part wasn't too bad. But I think my biggest problem with my backhand is my footwork is is too slow, so I'm not getting my feet in the right set in the right spot to hit a good backhand. So my backhand tends to go a little a little wide pretty often. Yeah, I, I think I think it's very difficult because, for example, if you if you play badminton, you can just like stand right like this and you just do this. But with tennis, you just have to like move your entire body to like yeah, and that's that's very difficult. Yeah, like I grew up playing baseball, which is a very different, it kind of feels similar the way you swing, but it's very different how you need to make contact with the ball. If you mm -hmm. hit the tennis ball like a baseball, it goes, you know, into the next court, <laughs> goes over the fence. Um, so having to unlearn that stroke and also having to move your feet, obviously in baseball, you just stand there, uh, has been challenging. I see. So let's go into Riot Games. Uh, for people who don't know, it's a, it's a company that, you know, you, you work at several different games. I think a lot of Magic players are actually uh, working there. Um, you kind of mentioned to me on, on, on Twitter that you're like working on all the games, but you're mainly focusing on League, League of Legends. Is that accurate? Yep. Yeah, so I, I'm on our eSports team. So I joined Riot about four and a half years ago. Uh, at the time, we only had League of Legends, so it was much simpler. I see. Uh, and I was working on a variety of projects for our for, for League, um, primarily globally. But then I, I kind of... Uh, I was one of the leads for the North American franchising process we did for the LCS, and then I actually spent a few months in Berlin in 2018, franchising the LEC, uh, working with our regional leagues, but the entire time I've been in esports. And then as we've launched the new titles, you know, we have Valorant Esports now, I've, I've helped that team out, uh, and someone who works for me manages the kind of competitive operations there, and then now we're launching Wild Rift, so there's a lot going on. Do you actually, like, can you actually play the game somewhat, or is, is, is the work that you're doing, like, does it have, like, anything to do with, the, like, the actual gameplay, or, like, you know, what are you actually doing? Yeah, nothing to do with the actual gameplay itself, although I do uh, talk to the team that manages the gameplay for its kind of competitive impact. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll collaborate with that team. Um, I've been playing League since the beta, so I started playing League in 2009. Uh, for how long I've played, I'm depressingly bad. But I'll blame <laughs> that on the fact that I'm old, and, and so my reflexes are, are not quite what they need to be. 
uh, for, for, for these games. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I've been playing League forever. Uh, but, but my role does not involve the actual kind of game itself. It's all on the esports side. I see. So when you when you, when you joined the company, it was on League of Legends, but that kind of hints on the fact that it, it it's not anymore. Um, yeah. What are the other games that you potentially work on? Yeah, so we have um, we're, we, uh, Valorant was our was our kind of this. Actually, technically, I think uh, Legend of Terra was our second game, which is the card game. You may mm -hmm. have played it. I know it, but I haven't I haven't played it yet. Okay, yeah. Steve Rubin, uh, who was the PT Oath of the Gate Crash, I want to say champion. I uh, think Steve's so. on that team. Uh, actually, one of the people who helped recruit me to Riot, Travis Bose, who's a longtime Magic player, is on that team. Um, so a lot of Magic players working on the card game, as makes sense. Um, that does not the, have a full-fledged esport around. It has more kind of competitive op competitive play. So I don't work directly on that, but I, I have helped kind of the team that oversees their competitive operations as well there. Uh, we launched Valorant, she's um, a year and a half ago now. Time flies. <laughs> uh, maybe a year. But yeah, um, and Valorant Esports is kicking off kind of full swing now. Um, and then Wild Rift we just launched, which is a mobile League of Legends game, and that's getting going. And, and the esports they're also going to be getting started soon. What does what did Corona did to to your company? I assume it had like a huge impact, um, but I don't actually know. Like I don't really follow yep. League of Legends, so I don't even know if the tournament tournaments are happening or not. Uh, if you can maybe talk about it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It, had, it did have a huge impact. Um, so. I mean, esports is interesting, right? Obviously, it's electronic gaming, so it can be done from anywhere technically. But for our sports, you know, we have huge studios with with fans and teams playing live. That all shifted, so we moved to a, a work play from home model uh, pretty quickly at the start of Corona. So by March of last year, uh, all of our leagues then we have 13 leagues around the world. All 13 leagues are now operating remotely. Uh, the teams are playing from their gaming houses or from their their own kind of the, the players' homes. Mm -hmm. um, unlike some of the other kind of computer games you might be familiar with that have more of like a tournament structure, almost like Magic, right? Where there's yeah. like Pro Tours and Grand Prix. We have professional leagues. It's like it's like sports. So it's like UEFA. It's like Premier League. That kind of a model. Okay. So it's more structured. Um, so the teams move. They started playing remotely. Uh, the one difference we have is we have two global tournaments every year: MSI and Worlds. That require the the qualifying teams fly from all over the world to one place to play. That you can't really do remotely because the ping issues playing internationally would be would be too severe. Um, so last year we had to cancel uh, the midseason invitational in May. It just there's no way to make it work with with kind of the travel restrictions for coronavirus then. But thankfully we will actually have the world championships in China uh, in October last year. So that went on um, with a reduced audience, but we still had that tournament. And then we actually have our next. Excuse me, we have our MSI for this year in Reykjavik kicking off in about a week, which is going ahead full steam. So I'm very excited to see the return to global competition as Corona's gotten more under control. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that there are like s multiple leagues similar to sports, so you have like the, the professional league and then you have like several leagues below that or like... Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and... so the way it works, so um, at the, the kind of the professional tier, we have four major regions, the, the largest, the best leagues, and that's going to be China, Korea, uh, North America, and Europe. So those are four kind of premier leagues. Um, there are then a second tier of also pro leagues, Russia, Turkey, Brazil, Japan, those have smaller kind of talent pools and, and you know they're a little bit less resource but still professional tier we then have semi-pro leagues in europe for instance so there's a european regional leagues in most of the countries there's a british league there's a french league there's a german league they don't actually promote into the pro tier unlike in, in european soccer and soccer or football i know like there's a lot of promotion relegation yeah, yeah we have two separate tiers there's no movement between them but there's two whole kind of frameworks and, and structure you can get competitive with and a lot of talent develops in the regional leagues and moves up to the professional league um, but uh, but the professional league is always connected to like the the certain country, right? So 
Or is, or is that a certain it? region? Yep. So, you know, the LCS is the North American League, the LEC is the European League, the LCK is the Korean League, the LPL is the Chinese League. And it has that domestic nature to it where it is based in that country. And three fifths of the players on each roster are, are native to that or, or citizens of that country. And then you have two import slots where you can import talent from other regions to play on your team as well. So there is a kind of regional feel to the leagues, uh, but also an international component. I see. So, so, so if someone becomes really, really good in, in, in like in England, he, he kind of needs to move, right? So what typically happens to so the, the European League plays in Berlin. So what end, end up happening is the best talent in Europe typically starts, moves up to the LEC. Uh, and there's 10 teams in that league. They're kind of sourcing talent from across Europe. Now, sometimes the top players in Europe might want to go somewhere else. They might come to America. Uh, in fact, there's been a kind of a meme around this where American teams tend to overspend a little bit compared to the European teams, but then underperform. Uh, and they get made fun of a lot for this. But a lot of kind of European talent will move to America, uh, usually in the second half of their career. It's called going to the American retirement home. You get paid a bunch of money, but you don't have to compete as hard. And mm -hmm. they come here and they, and then unfortunately, then they, they don't win as much. I see. Uh, but that's a, a kind of common career path. Mm -hmm. So let's go into Magic because I assume most people who click on this video are probably Magic players. Um, I made some research on Wikipedia. It says that you played your Pro Tour in like early 2000s, but then you had like a big break and eventually you were like invited to to house of John Finkler or something and from that point yep. you kind of like cute and it went on and on um would you say that I, that's accurate yeah that's pretty accurate I, I started playing in 1994 so very early it might have been 93 it was the summer no summer of 94 um the dark was in print revised was in print Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I played with some kids. I went to actually a, a chess program, a chess training camp, and some kids at the chess camp were playing Magic, and I picked it up from them. Um, and then kind of just played casually for a few years, quit again, uh, got back into it in late high school, and then qualified for my first Pro Tour in Chicago in 2000. Had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> no clue. How did you, how did you, how did you queue? Did you just win a PTQ or something? I won a PTQ. Yeah, I was like pretty good regional player, I would say, like for the area, I was pretty good. And I'd met a few people that were connected that were actually quite good nationally. And this is back when, you know, there was no Magic Online, there was no Magic MTG Arena. No one had good decks, right? People had no idea what they were doing. And I met these guys at Nationals that I just went to to attend. Uh, and they were quite good. Seth Byrne and Z Masters, Z's actually in the Hall of Fame now. Um, they were they were much, much better than me. And they sent me a deck list for this block-constructed tournament that was just, the deck was busted. Uh, it was Agro Waters. It was Mercadian Masks constructed, um, and, and it was this, this Rising Waters deck. And so I was the only person in the room that had the deck. And the deck was just busted. I see. Uh, and I was a competent player, and so I, I won the PTQ. Uh, playing against actually my teammate in the finals who played the deck that we built together that I was almost going to play, and I pivoted the last second of this Rising Waters deck. Uh, so qualified for Chicago, tested with my friends, showed up with a deck that, like, was terrible. <laughs> um, it was so bad. Like, this is the Factor Fiction tournament, and I didn't play Factor Fiction, but I uh. played Blue White Control. You cannot play Blue Eye Control without Factor Fiction. Yeah, so, uh, that seems pretty bad, yeah. Yeah, it did not go well. I was playing Howling Mine and Millstone. Mm -hmm. So that was my win condition was Millstone. I, I got a draw in the first round and then lost the next six and then got a buy in the last round. Ooh. So but not the best start to my Pro Tour career. <laughs> so so uh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia says that you took a break, but was it more like a forced break because you just weren't qualified or were you just like not playing Magic at all? No, I was playing a lot locally, so I was still doing pretty well. I top eighted a bunch of PTQs. I qualified for Pro Tour uh, Houston in 2002, uh, and there I tested with CMU Target, so one of the best teams at the time, you know, Osip uh, Lebedowitz, uh, Eugene Harvey, Mike Turian, all the CMU guys. Um, tested with them because it's through a mutual friend, and then went there, played, it was an extended tournament, played uh, The Rock, 
did fine. I think I made, I made day two. I got like 80th place, let's say. Didn't cash, um, I think. But I still, like, I did much better that time. Um, but then I actually graduated from college. I got into law school. I moved to New York. And I decided I just didn't really have time for magic. I wanted to focus on other things, you know, on my social life, on my studies, on kind of just exploring New York. So I didn't play magic for maybe a year and a half between senior year of college and, and first year of law school. And then one day I kind of got the urge to play a little bit. Uh, Neutral Ground, which if you were playing back then, Neutral Ground was this really famous store in New York. It was kind of like the, the hotbed of American magic. It was between that and your move games in Boston. And so I was like, I want to go check it out. I want to go see Neutral Ground. Does it, uh, so does it st- I'm sorry to interrupt. Does it still exist or is it not a thing anymore? It does not, no. Uh, it, it shut down sometime, I don't even remember when, after I think after I left New York, but maybe 10 years, 12 years ago. So Brian David Marshall, who I'm sure you know from yeah, coverage, yeah. BDM. BDM started Neutral Ground. It was his store. Uh, and a lot of the best players from New York all got their start there. John Finkel, the OMS brothers. Like It was really the hotbed of, of American Magic. So I was like, I want to check this place out. So I went there to play a PTQ. Uh, I lost in the last round playing for top eight against like a regular there. And we kind of started talking and chatting. He invited me to do a draft. So I drafted with him. I met BDM at this draft. Talked to him a bit. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm this like West Coast Magic player. I just moved here. And I remember someday, maybe a couple weeks later, I'm walking to class across campus. I was going to Columbia at the time on the Upper West Side. And my phone rings, and it's BDM. Like, hey, what's up, BDM? He's like, hey, we had someone bail. We need one more person to draft at Finkel's house. Can you come? And I was like, I'll be there. I- I'm on my way. I skipped class. I sprinted to the subway. I got on the subway. I went down to John's house. I was so excited to be there. I was so nervous. Like, wow, this is this is John Finkel. Like, this is insane. Like, I had him, like, sign cards when I was a kid. I literally had signed cards from him. And I got destroyed. I went, like, one and nine my first day there. I was like, oh, man, they're never going to invite me back. This is so embarrassing. They must think I'm terrible. Uh, they invite me back one more time. I go, I go like one in seven. I'm like, I said, I'm done. There's just no way they're gonna invite me back. I just get crushed by everyone. Uh, but thankfully, they kept inviting me back, and I became good friends with a couple people there, and started getting a lot better. Um, you know, it, shockingly, when you play with really good people, uh, you get you get better at magic. And I watched John a lot. I played against him a bunch. Steve O'Mass, kind of the best players. Josh Rabbits um, was a really an amazing local player uh, at the time as well, and and just started improving a bunch and played there. I mean, we did hundreds of drafts i mean we were drafting 10 15 times a week multiple nights a week uh for two years uh, and just you know kept improving and and started going to grand prix again maybe around the 2007 2008 time period and started getting back into competitive magic that way mm-hmm. did you just go to gps because you just started hanging out with these people or were you, you weren't going to gps before you're like starting playing drafts with these people right so did that like maybe inspire you yeah. to to like play oh, 500 pro tour again yeah, I mean, I, so I don't remember the exact kind of progression there, but I, so I went to a couple of GPs when I was younger. I, I actually lost playing for top eight of a GP in, um, I forget where I lost, but I, and I was like really bummed and got, we got the kind of the competitive fire going. That actually might have, might have been Houston as well. I had a couple of early tournaments in Houston. Um, but yeah, like most people that we played with were qualified. I, I was outperforming them. We kept an internal ratings list at, at John's place. We had our own whole database of all of our matches. And at one point, I got to number one on the ratings. I was, like, so proud of myself. It was, like, my biggest accomplishment. I'm like, if I can get number one here, I, I'm pretty good. Like, I can go play. I can beat people at this at this level. So I started going to GPs. Really wanted to qualify for the Pro Tour. Um, started going to travel to a couple of Pro Tours to play the last chance qualifiers that existed at that time, um, which they don't have those anymore. But back then, the night before the Pro Tour, they'd have a, basically a PTQ that qualified four people. Um, and so I remember I went to one in Los Angeles and, and didn't get there. I then flew to Hawaii to play in um, the Shards Block, I want to say it was, Shards Block LCQ. Um, and of my group of four people, all four of us made the finals, didn't play each other. The other three all won, and I lost. So <laughs> wow. I was one of my car ride driving home at five in the morning that didn't qualify for the next day, and I was like so bummed. 
Um, but yeah, it just gave me the fire. Like I was always a very competitive person. Like I was very competitive in chess as a kid. Uh, and Magic became my new competitive outlet. I just really wanted to get on the Pro Tour. I wanted to like show that I had that I was good enough to, to make it. Mm -hmm. So you had your first Pro Tour top eight uh, with Coldblade, um, which I like. You know, I'm not sure whether it, that counts or not because that deck was broken. <laughs> but I've been playing too. Yeah, that deck was really good. Um, but the night before the tournament, I was debating whether I should play Coldblade or play this uh, Tempered Steel deck that played. Whatever the one one, there's some one one artifact for one that you could like pay black man to give it poison. I forget what it's even called. But yeah, like, I, like Visser Pep or something. I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I always played that deck instead. And the night before, I'm like, I'll just play Cobblade, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess. Like, not sure it's good. And then yeah, I lost my first round, and then just won every round for the rest of the tournament. Um, and then that was the first time they had a day off between the the Swiss and the top eight. They actually played a GP during the tournament. And unfortunately, on that day off, I actually got pneumonia. Oh. So I was asleep the whole time. I had like 106 degree fever. I almost went to the hospital. Um, so I played my top eight match against Ben Stark, and I was in very bad shape. Uh, and ended up like punting one of the games against him and like barely losing. And then like flying home to the States and then immediately going to the hospital and like being in the hospital for like a week after that. Oh, so I'm sorry. It was a rough start to my, my top eights, but I was still obviously super excited, really proud of the accomplishment. It was, it was an awesome, an awesome experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you got your uh, second uh, Pro, uh, Pro Tour top eight two years after that when you actually won the Pro Tour with Mardu Aristocrats, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, one thing that I want to ask about, uh, there was like this, I, I think a couple weeks after that or like a month after that, there was like a new Aristocrat that actually played green over red with Voice of Resurgence. Yep. Did you have that version and you just thought that the red one was better or you just like didn't know, didn't know, know about did it? did not have that version. I can't remember if it was the same set. I, I think something else came out in between them, but I, cause I think Voice Research was in was in Dragon's Maze, if I remember correctly. It well, I think it was in the same uh, ex, uh, set with Tractask, right? And Tractask was legal in that, or you don't think so? Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I may, I could be wrong. I was pretty sure that Voice Resurgence came out with Dragon's Maze. You might be right, you um, might be right. Which was the next PT. But so, I mean, for that tournament, we were testing in New York. Um, so I was, that was the kind of, I think we weren't called Pantheon yet, but that was basically the, the beginnings of the yeah, Pantheon yeah. team. Um, so Sam Black came up with that deck list maybe a couple days over the Pro Tour. I didn't really like any of our decks. Like, I think the other deck the team played was um, was Jund. Like, Owen top eight with our Jund list, which is like a pretty stock Jund list that, you know, he and Reed played. I'm sure Reed played it, I don't remember, but it was Reed, so I'm sure Reed played John. <laughs> um, and I, our deck wasn't great. It, it, it might have been bad, I don't know. Uh, but it was like very tricky. It had a lot of play to it, and I got... So the deck was very tricky. Um, you know, it, it, it had a lot of play to it. It had a lot of like inter internal combos that people could miss. In fact, in my top eight match against Eric Froelich, uh, in game five, I'm mulliganing on the play. And I double mulligan on the play. I'm thinking to myself, well, this is a great run. Like, I'm super excited. I'm proud that I got this far. I assumed I was just dead. He was playing this like, very aggressive Naya deck. And it turns out that like I was able to do almost like exaxes with like this really complicated sequence involving Blasphemous Act. Um, and the deck just had a lot of play to it. Like people didn't play around the right cards. Um, so it was just it was a fun deck to play. It was I think it was a good deck for the Pro Tour, but probably not an overall like high power deck in general. You know, it was playing like Champion of the Parish with like 14 humans. You know, that's a little yeah. a little questionable. Um, but but I, I and then I also got I ran very well right obviously to win a pro tour you have to get extra, extremely extremely lucky I drew cards in the right combinations I had a lot of you know turn one champion the parishes that got really big um, and kind of things broke my way that tournament mm -hmm. you also won a free free GP, GPs around around this time um, was magic like something that you, you do 
during that time thought that maybe you know that's going to be like a career or like something that you really want to fo focus on or was it always that you just like focused on law and you just like did magic because it just like so happened and you just like to play like did you ever thought about that yeah i thought a lot about what would it be like if i quit my job and went full-time um i never really could convince myself to take that risk right at the time it was challenging i had a i had a very demanding full-time law job uh, i was the general counsel for a fintech company um i was you know i was working 60 hour weeks most weeks if not more and, and it was like i always wanted to make the plunge i always wanted to say man i'm gonna try my hardest to go at magic and see how, how good i can be because i'm competing with people at least everything like paul Rietzel always had a job as well but we were like the only two people that were really like platinum pros at that time that were also doing full-time work i think maybe there's one or two more i'm forgetting but we were the two main ones um, I was always curious, like, yeah, how much better would I have been if I just gave it my all and, and quit? I'm not sure I've been that much better. I played a lot of Magic. Mm -hmm. I was I was practicing a ton. Um, I think if I was doing it more, I actually might have gotten burnt out quicker. And I think I might have come to, like, not enjoy it. It would have felt like a job. And for me, it was nice that Magic always felt like a hobby. It always felt like something I was passionate about. I loved it. I loved the game. But I always got to play for fun. I was never worried about, like, oh, man, if I do badly, I can't pay my rent. That was never a problem for me. So it's almost I had less pressure on me when I played, I think, than some people that were doing it for more of a career. I see, I see. Um, how is it with you and Magic right now? I, you know, we have like Arena Age, Corona is going on. Like, are you still maybe playing for fun or what is going on with that? Yeah, I still play for fun. Uh, I've made Mythic a couple of times. Anytime I've like played a bunch, I've gotten a Mythic and I've played those, the, the kind of the, the yeah, qualifiers yeah. that they have afterwards. Um, I don't. I have a hard time, especially these days, I've gotten older. I, I don't know if I, I just have like bad ADHD now or something, but I can't really focus online play the same way I focus in paper. Um, it's just not the same to me. So I enjoy it, but it doesn't feel as competitive. It's not as serious to me. I'm distracted. I have other stuff going on. I'm playing music. I'm like talking to people. So it's not the same experience. So uh, I, I'm excited for paper terms to come back. I'm sure I'll play some. I'll go to a GP somewhere. Um, you know, my last paper tournament was gpla 2019 i think and at that point i was like one point short of silver and was like gonna go play some more tournaments and then they announced kind of the pro tour changes and all of a sudden silver didn't matter anymore and i kind of got you know i was like okay well i don't know what even what's the point uh, but i'm sure i'll be back and playing some paper tournaments because I, i certainly still i still have the bug I, and i still love magic it's still a great game Mm -hmm. it was awesome talking with you today uh it's gonna be it's gonna be all for today um before we wrap it up maybe you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet or something if you want yeah absolutely so uh you can find me on twitter at tom martell uh i also still stream let's say once every couple months especially during vintage cube i stream a bunch you can find me on twitch tv uh slash tom martell and uh that's the two main spots and i, I you know i'm still around still poking poking the poking the magic bear and and uh, still playing Right. If you guys like the video, please click on the like and subscribe button. Don't forget. And uh, thanks, to, uh, Tom, and see you next time, I guess. Awesome. Bye bye.